I'm really excited to be here talking about something other than American politics. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to talk not on American politics. So uh, this is another project that I'm working on. Um, and this focuses much more on grading, evaluation, and how to make that better. So I want to start um, with an image that maybe some of you are familiar with. Is anyone familiar with this game or games like it? Um, this is Candy Crush. Um, and Candy Crush was one of those popular games um, on the App Store, you know, play on your phone. It's free to play. Um, and I was amazed that my parents, who I never saw growing up playing any sort of game, all of a sudden were addicted to games like these um, on their phones. Um, and you know, there are several things that are, that are common to a lot of these games. Um, there's a score. Um, there's a bunch of things going on on the screen. Um, there are power-ups. Um, and all of this is to get people addicted to this thing. Right? It is constantly feeding you dopamine um, to get you to play more and more. And while these games on phones, most of them are free, um, if you fail enough times, you eventually have to wait. Um, and the idea is you can refill your lives. So you run out of life, you, you fail a level too many times, you can refill them with money. Um, and uh, this uh, has been very, very lucrative uh, for these companies that release these that are called free-to-play games. Um, and in fact, I heard a recent um, story uh, on NPR about this woman who uh, became, uh, she got herself $400,000 in debt uh, playing one of these. Um, and so really what, what got me thinking about this is how can we use this for good, right? Um, is there any application um, of uh, games in higher ed and in our teaching and to get students to uh, be as addicted to our courses as they are games like these? Um, I don't think we can ever quite get there, um, but that's uh, where I'm, I'm trying to head with this. And so I wanna, what I want to focus on is this term gamification, um, which is defined as the application of game elements and principles to non-game settings. Um, so what we want to do is take some of the elements of games that get people excited and engaged and addicted and wanting to play them and embed them into our courses. And particularly, I'm focused on the evaluation aspect or how we can improve the process of assigning grades uh, by using some elements taken from games. Um, and so, uh, just an overview of where I'm going to go with this. Um, I'll start, um, I'll talk a little more about what motivated me to get into um, this line of research. Um, talk about some traditional forms of evaluations as well as their uh, shortcomings. So what's wrong with grading? Uh, this has come up many times at our faculty meetings. Um, we'll talk about some recent terms in evaluation or recent trends in evaluation, um, particularly focused on gamification, but ways to get around some of the negative aspects of grading. Um, uh, I'll then uh, discuss my approach to gamification while I'm doing in my courses. Um, talk about the actual study that I've done um, across the past two semesters, and then conclude by talking about what I'm doing this year um, to uh, find additional and stronger evidence for the efficacy of the gamification approach. Um, so really, I'm focused on evaluation. Um, and I know in the education literature, there's somewhat of a distinction between assessment and evaluation. Um, assessment can be uh, it's more process-oriented, providing feedback, trying to get students do better over the course, um, whereas evaluation is specifically the aspect of assigning a grade. 
judging the quality of their work and meeting learning outcomes. So I'm really focused here on grading. So um, I want to talk about the political motivation um, behind this project. Of course, like you all, I'm trying to brainwash my students to be as liberal as possible. <laughs> <laughs> completely kidding. Uh, I hope I don't get on the professor watching this uh, But um, I'm starting from, from the point that the average citizen does not know much about government. Uh, so for example, uh, in a poll last year, 37% uh, of Americans could not name a single right protected in the First Amendment, and a third of people cannot name a single branch of government. Um, so people know astonishingly little about government, um, yet uh, we live uh, in a representative democracy. These people who don't know much are voting, um, and that's problematic. Um, we know, for example, recent research by Aiken and Bartels has shown that if an area has more shark attacks in a given year, support for the incumbent representative goes down. Right. Shark attacks, how your representative is doing, shouldn't relate to each other, but they do. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is scary to me. I tell my students, this is what keeps me up at night. You're going to vote having no idea what you're voting for, um, or who you're voting for. Um, and really, politics is collective decision-making. So what happens is that our fellow citizens make decisions that are binding to us. We might say, I didn't vote for the Democratic Party, yet the Democrats have a majority, they passed this piece of legislation, and now I have to follow it. I can't, ignore, I can't choose to ignore that particular policy simply because I didn't support it. And so it's problematic when we have citizens not knowing very much about government and then going out and voting and their decisions, of course, impact those of us who may know more about government. So really, the solution is better civic education. And this is why I'm very much focused on my general education course. Every semester, I teach two sections of POL 112, which is American political system. Um, and you know, I really focus on what students should know when they go out and vote. And so I really wanted to spend a lot of time developing this course, probably more than um, I would otherwise in a, in a general education course. I know a lot of us enjoy teaching our major courses a lot better. Um, but I really wanted to focus on this course and come up with any way I could to get students more engaged. Because we know that we teach students material, but they don't always retain it. So anything that I can do to get them to retain this information and hopefully be better voters, um, I think is really important. So I think with that, that's, I'm done with politics. Um, but in terms of, of pedagogy, um, in a general education course, we know that students really don't care and don't value general education. 50% um, uh, report that they would not enroll in general education courses if they weren't required to do so. Um, and 72% would prefer more related courses instead of general ed courses. Um, but at the same time, knowledge of general education and its benefits is really low. So what we need to do, the challenge is to increase engagement with our general education courses and demonstrate how relevant they are. Um, the other thing uh, that we uh, have seen is that students, in terms of grades, um, believe that not only should their performance matter, but their effort should matter. Um, and this is a point of contention uh, with many of my students each semester when I tell them, how am I supposed to determine how much time you put into it? You know, I can't really evaluate how much effort you put into something. Um, and students perceive instructors who don't make an attempt to assess effort as unfair. <coughs> so if you put these two things together, what we get is um, an attitude that we often call entitlement among students. It feels like students are entitled. 
particularly in our general education courses. So their view of general education is, I'm just ticking out these boxes. You're just making me do these things. Um, and on top of that, I want you to grade me based on how much effort I perceive that I put into it. The final quality of the, the product doesn't matter as much as how much effort I put into it. So that creates a sort of attitude of entitlement that we perceive as instructors and a challenge for us when we teach general education, particularly because most of our general education courses are really important. Um, they may not be directly related to their careers, though many are, uh, but they're directly related to um, creating good citizens um, and to contributing more broadly to society and being a well-rounded uh, citizen, voter, um, what have you. So that's sort of the pedagogical side, why I wanted to, to get into this and really tackle um, how to improve evaluation and make students more interested in a general education course that impacts all of us when they go out and participate in politics. Um, and so that brings me to the more traditional forms of evaluation and grading and their shortcomings. Um, so as we heard, if you were at the Credo presentation, and I'm sure it's no surprise, um, grades have been around for a while, though not as long as you necessarily think. Um, they emerged around the end of the 19th century during the uh, Industrial Revolution. Um, and of course, uh, grades are assigned to individual assignments and to <coughs> final um, course grades um, in most courses. Um, and what grades are is they are evaluative in nature. Um, they're these value-laden laden symbols indicating the relative quality of a performance. Um, they're the end result of, of assessment. Um, and furthermore, grades are really high stakes. Students care about their grades. Um, even though sometimes it seems like they don't based on the decisions they make, um, they do care about them. They're important for graduate school, professional school, and employment. Um, and students do really stress about grades. Um, I remember when I started my junior year of college, after my first two years, uh, sort of drifting away from academics and enjoying more of the social aspects, I decided I needed to get really good grades in my final two years because I was leaning more towards going to graduate school. Um, and so uh, that was you know, really uh, impactful to me because what I remember is sitting down with my syllabi and saying, to get an A, basically I can't lose more than 35 points in most classes because most classes um, when I was an undergrad, we were based out of 500 points. Um, and students do things like this. Um, they look at grades as something that are a loss, right? A potential loss. Um, they're really concerned about what will happen to them if they get a bad grade. They're not so much focused on getting a good grade. They're focused on avoiding a bad grade. And that's exactly what the research tells us. Um, grading has been shown to increase feelings of powerless, powerlessness. So students often feel like a grade, a bad grade is something that happened to me, um, that they have no control of it, of it, that just something that happened to them, um, and they had no autonomy to determine whether they got a good grade or a bad grade. So um, students don't feel like they've earned a specific grade, they feel like it's been um, applied to them, it's happened to them. It reduces intrinsic motivation. So students, when they are graded, feel less motivated to actually learn the material. Um, or uh, out of sort of interest and enjoyment, um, and they're more focused on earning a certain grade, um, or uh, more accurately, avoiding a bad grade. Um, it reduces performance. So in studies where they um, would randomly assign a class activity to be graded versus non-graded, 
activities that, that were told that would be graded, students performed worse on. Um, and it really increases these performance avoidance goals at the expense of performance approach. So performance avoidance is they are single-mindedly focused on avoiding a poor grade rather than actually trying to achieve a good grade and to meet the course learning objectives. They are very much focused on, I just can't get this grade, or I can't get below a certain grade. It affects our good students, students that for whom a good grade is only an A. Anything less than a 4.0 GPA is bad. And it affects our, our less uh, good students. Um, I don't want to say bad students, but less prepared students who are, are focused on just passing the course. Um, it's ubiquitous, ubiquitous um, across that spectrum. Um, and overall grades really reduce autonomous motivation. The feeling that people have the ability and they have the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation to achieve a certain goal. Um, so it makes students really um, focus solely on avoiding a poor grade. And again, the, that grade is somewhat out of their control and focus, uh, and less focus on actual learning um, and the ability um, to achieve a certain uh, high grade, indicating that they met the objectives of the course. Um, so um, I do want to mention a couple recent trends in evaluation that have tried to overcome all of these negative effects associated with grading. Um, and the first one uh, is actually called ungrading, uh, which I believe was termed by Jesse Stommel, who is the director of the Teaching and Learning Center at the University of Mary Washington, and a sort of anti-grading provocateur online. Um, and Stommel basically says, Grading is so bad that we should just not do it. Um, and what we should do instead is work with students to give them the ability to choose their own grade um, based on the coursework they've completed. Um, so this is a kind of a very postmodern approach in a sense. Um, and so what they'll do is, is for each assignment, major assignment in the course, students will complete a reflection and they'll describe how well they think they've met the various objectives of the assignment and eventually of the course in general, um, suggest a grade and submit that. And he says, you know, almost uh, the vast, vast majority of the time, he gives them that grade. Um, so that's kind of the extreme end. We sort of get rid of our grading almost entirely and have students simply choose the grade that they think they deserve. Um, there's also um, portfolio grading, which has been around for a little while and is common in uh, humanities courses, particularly writing, um, as well as some fine arts courses. Um, so in a portfolio system, students will receive feedback throughout the semester on assignments. They typically won't get an actual grade on those assignments. Um, and then they'll submit a portfolio at the end of the semester that will be graded. Um, and it can be graded developmentally, so they look at um, how much the work has improved from when it was first submitted to the end, or sometimes it can be what's called a showcase, which students pick their best X number of assignments um, to be graded. So that's one way of overcoming a lot of the negative effects of grading, because grading really only happens at the very end of the semester. Students aren't assigned grades on their work throughout. And finally, there's contract grading, um, which has uh, gained in popularity recently. Um, which is where students go in and on day one the instructor explains, okay, we're going to make a contract um, between the two of us, um, each individual student and the instructor, and the contract will stipulate what work you're gonna do and what grade you'll receive if you complete that work. 
So students who may want a D would do less work than students who want an A. Um, and typically, the difficulty of the assignments would vary. Um, so that's another way of, of trying to give students more autonomy and control um, in the work that they do and in their, their grade overall. So those are three uh, current trends that I, I picked out. Um, but there's actually another one that really inspired me uh, to go down this rabbit hole toward gamification, and that's Nilsson's specifications grading. And specifications grading is really interesting um, because all assignments are graded simply as credit, no credit. So students either get all the points or none of the points. Um, and they must meet all criteria or specifications or specs in order to um, receive credit. Assignments can be resubmitted. Um, so basically, um, this is actually what I use in my um, intro. <coughs> so what I'll do is when they submit assignment, I'll go down the checklist and check all of these. Um, and if they meet all of them, they receive credit. I actually have gone to kind of a tiered system where some are in bold and some are not because they can receive partial credit if they're just the same, some minor, uh, more technical specification. But there's three checklists, so basically um, I fill out this form, give it to them, it doesn't meet all the specs, I fill then they resubmit it, I fill out the second column, they can do that up to three times. So specifications grading uh, moves away from the sort of A through F grading or percentage scores and more towards that did you do, did you meet the basic criteria of this assignment? And if you did, we're not going to stress about determining whether that work was an A or a B or a C, you simply receive all the credit for that assignment. Um, and sometimes um, in specs grading, it can be based not on points, but just on the overall number of assignments completed, similar to contract grading. So it will, the syllabus will say, okay, to get a D, um, you do these assignments. To get a C, you do all the D level assignments plus these C level assignments that are a little harder, and on and on and up, up through the, the A. Um, so specs grading is another recent um, trend in evaluation that seeks to overcome many um, of the negative effects associated with uh, traditional um, percentage-based grading. So um, the thing I really want to focus on, though, is this, this idea of gamification um, and how to incorporate gamification elements into evaluation to make them a little more fun, reduce anxiety, um, and get students more engaged in the course overall. Um, so a game has been defined rather <coughs> ingeniously as a voluntary attempt to overcome unnecessary obstacles. So you are freely choosing uh, to place yourself in a situation where you have to overcome obstacles that you otherwise wouldn't. And somehow, that's fun. Uh, so uh, games typically include three different um, elements, uh, at least, often more. They typically have objectives, so there is some basis for winning the game or losing the game. There's something you're trying to do to win. Um, there's a goal. Um, there are rules, and interestingly, players voluntarily submit to these rules, even though it limits their freedom, um, because in the end, um, it would be less fun without rules. Um, consider a game of Monopoly. It's only really fun if everyone follows the rules. If you're just inventing things on the fly, then um, you know, that's when game board gets flipped over. And there's a disagreement about whether free parking needs to get money or not. Um, so rules are things that limit freedom and people voluntarily submit to these rules in the game world. And number three, a game possesses a playful attitude. So you're doing this for fun. Um, oftentimes I think this gets lost once people get to a, 
adulthood, and they start playing, uh, your, you know, some of your complex games of strategy with your friends. But um, it's supposed to have a playful sort of nature about it. Um, and and this uh, anthropologist in Pazinga came up with this idea of a magic circle. So what really makes a game fun um, is that the game is sort of in this circle that's separate from the real world. There are rules um, that apply in this game world and not in the real world and vice versa. And games possess choices. Um, you can take certain actions or not. Um, there are rules. There are pathways or a clearly defined path to success, to meeting the objective, to growth. Um, and there's feedback throughout the game. Right? You know you're doing well in Monopoly because you're accumulating a lot of uh, those colorful dollars um, or properties. And all of this makes people in the game world feel empowered. Um, and so what I want to do is uh, move this sense of empowerment from a game into a course. To give students these things within a course, make it feel more like a game, um, and therefore decrease all of these bad things associated with grading and associated with courses. Um, and so I am not alone here that many, many people, particularly at the secondary level and below, have gamified their courses. Um, and there are some, some common elements across these. There are points, um, which courses already have. Uh, so we're already halfway there. Um, students accumulate points. I've experimented with calling these XP, which is a, uh, often used in games, they stand for experience points. Um, it created, I think, some confusion, so I've gone back just to calling them points. <laughs> um, there are leaderboards, so there's some competitive aspect. Uh, now, in education with leaderboards, you have to be a little careful because of FERPA. Um, you can't just rank everybody by name, um, but leaderboards are very common. Uh, badges are common as well. You can give players badges for meeting certain objectives, and those will be publicly displayed um, next to their profile. Um, that's something I haven't done yet, but hope to do. And there are rewards. So students can earn things, kind of separate from points. Um, but in a course, obviously, the goal is to accumulate as many points as possible. So they relate to that. And I'll talk about how I have created sort of a secondary currency um, of rewards um, in my system. So um, that brings me to my approach to gamification. So I'll sort of talk about what I'm doing in my courses and then go on to introduce how I've studied this um, and determine whether or not um, it is efficacious or not. So um, I call my system Reflected Progression Grading, uh, RPG, um, which is a type of game, a role-playing game. So I really worked to find three letters that would fit that. The G was easy. Um, and, and really what I've designed this to do is to reflect students' progress very clearly so that they can feel very concretely the connection between the work they do in the course and their grade at any given moment, their score. <coughs> so all students begin the course at zero points, which really students do in all courses, though this is hard to get them to understand. Um, I used to say this is not Benjamin Button, you're not starting with 500 points and working down, but that's how students often perceive it. Right, because the LMS shows their grade as a moving average of assignments completed at any time. But here, students really do begin at zero points. Um, and in Jetsabar, I'll show you a screenshot in a second, it displays zero points. So if you were to go um, look at my course right now, all students have an F. Um, because this is based out of 1,000 points, they need 1,000 points to get an A. Um, and I believe the 
currently a few weeks in, the most points the student has accumulated is about 150. Um, they need 600 to pass. But I, for all of them, I try to say the goal is 1,000. You're starting at zero, and you're going to 1,000. And here, students only gain points. They never lose any points. And I really emphasize this with every single assignment. So they never um, are given a grade on anything. All assignments are turned on to say plus something. Um, and so they're never really feeling that they're going backwards. They're only moving forward, so they're only moving up. So I've set this at about 33%, about a third more points um, that are actually needed for an A. So if you'll, if you'll do the math, right, to, you only need about 80-something like percent of the, the points to, to get an A. Um, so students have choice in the assignments they choose to complete. They don't have to do everything. And furthermore, they're not penalized for not doing something. So students often feel that they complete an assignment and their grade goes down. Um, and in reality, it's more complicated, but it goes down because Genzibar displays that moving average of assignments that I believe is very, very harmful to students um, because they're looking at this as a moving target. Oh, I went up. This assignment brought me up. Oh, this assignment brought me way down. Um, and I've actually had students say, if I, if, if I just don't submit to this assignment because I think it's really bad, I'll, I'll be better off, right? No. In no world would you be better off um, not doing something and getting zero, right? So um, that's what I really want to get away from, that sort of moving average of students only moving in one direction from zero and the goal being 1,000, and there are more points than they actually need. Um, so students must complete most assignments at a high level in order to receive credit. Um, or any points at all. Um, and this is where specs grading comes in. So I still use that idea of a checklist grading from um, Linda Nilsson's work on specifications grading. So this helps to alleviate concerns that, oh, you're just giving me more potential points, so it's easier to get an A, right? You're just lowering the percentage of points required. Well, actually, no, because students still have to complete, they're held to standards. They have to complete something at a high level in order to receive points. So I'm not just lowering the bar, the percentage score bar to get to an A. Um, I'm just giving them choice as to what they complete. Students still need to show proficiency on any given assignment to get points. So I do a full credit, half credit, no credit system. So if they meet all the requirements of the assignment, they check all the boxes, they get full credit, whatever the point value of that assignment is worth. If they're missing a couple things, you know, they didn't um, double space it or it's not in times in Roman, they'll get half credit, and that's an easy fix. Um, well, they're, if they're not um, meeting uh, most of the specs, if there are several specs that are not met, they don't get any credit. But again, they do have the ability to resubmit their assignment and get credit. So, so that helps to um, hold them to, to standards and not just lowering um, the percentage of points required to get an A. Um, but the key thing is students start at zero, move up, they can choose which assignments uh, to complete, and they can resubmit those assignments. Um, so this is where the leveling up comes in, which is a common um, thing that happens in games. Um, you have a certain level um, that your character is at, or that you have on Candy Crush, or whatever game you're playing, that, relative, that is supposed to indicate your skill. Um, and in this system, students start at level zero, and upon reaching a certain threshold, they level up. Um, which again, is another way to provide sort of that dopamine feedback loop that games often have. You know, if you, if you can give them as many, as much sort of positive reinforcement as you can, that keeps them 
uh, coming back from war, I think. Um, but each time they level up, they earn tokens, um, which can be spent on a variety of rewards, um, which I'll talk about more in a second. Um, and then the level attained at the end of the course determines their grade. Um, so here, they, again, they start at zero, they level up, it's pretty quick at first. And then once you get to 600, you'll notice that they pretty much correspond to the standard percentages used, with the exception of an A. So I do make them work for that 1,000 points to get an A, but you only need 900 for an A minus. Um, so that's really the only variation from a, a standard percentage score. Um, so when they level up, they get tokens, and at certain levels, they actually get to roll a dice, or a die, um, to get a certain number of tokens. So that's another sort of gamification, um, game-like element I incorporate. And students actually really look forward to that. Um, so typically on Monday, it's level 15, 20, or, or 24 at grand. So dice in and they roll. Um, and again, that's just another way to, to provide some sort of fun and some positive um, encouragement um, that they're, they're working toward this goal. Um, so there are many different types of rewards, um, and uh, they can uh, spend them on, on any of these things. Um, and I found the best way to do this is just simply do a Google form for most of these, so they actually earn them this way. Um, and you may think, how do students keep track of all this? Um, well, on day one, they actually get this guidebook, um, which looks like a game rules book. Remember, a playful attitude is one of the uh, elements of a game. So it actually has all of this in there. Um, and it has all of the assignments they can complete. Um, so that helps them to keep track of, oh, I can use that to do this. But it's usually about halfway in the semester when they really realize how much they can do with these tokens. Um, so the main reason uh, the main reason it happens is so they can resubmit assignments. And the cost does increase um, as the course goes on. So there are three units, you know, one, two, and three. And that's how many tokens. Um, it costs uh, to resubmit assignments. So that's really what they're there for. Uh, and then I've added these um, based on student ideas and feedback and demand, and also just to, to make them more work. So they can skip a lecture quiz that happens at the beginning of each class, um, exceed the tardy, absence, disruptive behavior, basically deductions I, I kind of make. They don't get their full daily score for doing these. They can receive an extension on an assignment. Um, they can use them to actually skip questions on the exam that they may not know. Um, they can skip these inquisitive assignments, which are online uh, quizzes on the textbook. And then the big reward, um, which has generated the most buzz, is for 60 minus whatever their level number is. So say they're level 20 at the end of the course, um, that would cost 40 tokens. They can skip the final exam and get full credit. Um, so students are more excited about this than anything. Um, to get out of an exam and to get full credit, though really the only students that can earn enough tokens to do that are students that are already on track to get an A anyway. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, um, but that's that's motivating to them. The students love to get out of uh, out of work any way they can. Um, and online, the number of tokens they have at any given time is freely available to them next to their points total. So uh, I'll show you what that looks like. Um, so in, in Jensenbar, the best I can kind of do, and, and this is, I added this based on uh, feedback, is um, basically I set it out at 1,000 points, and they can actually see what their current grade is if the course ended on that day, which is what I tell them. Students really, really wanted this. I'm kind of, um, I'm not super thrilled that it's showing them a letter grade, because again, everyone says F right now, and I have a, uh, you know, I tell them all that don't panic. Um, 
what they really wanted to be able to see exactly where the grade is, even though they can check it with the textbook at any time. Um, and then they also have a course ID that is just shown as feedback right under it. Um, and I update this only once a week. Um, and again, that's only because students request it. Um, and really, there's a whole separate tab on Benzabar that displays their current points, and they're all assigned an anonymous user ID, um, which is basically uh, just scrambling their um, uh, student ID number in a way that no one can figure out. Um, and they can also um, request a username as long as it has nothing to do with their name. I tell them, you know, this is still, you know, protected information. I'll never reveal who anyone is. Um, you know, if they want to tell people, that's fine, but I strongly encourage them not to. Um, and then there's also a, a current points leader, so it'll display their, their username and ranks one through five and came up with a politically relevant title. And so um, they actually get really excited about this. I had a student come up to me after class and she said, you know, I'm currently the president, right? Uh, so um, they like that. And again, this doesn't sort them by points because I, I want to, you know, I don't want people sort of at the bottom to be able to easily determine that they're so much more than um, so that's kind of how um, this is set up online. Um, it's, I, I think this is really neat because it's linked to my gradebook Google um, Sheet. So every time I enter a score, this automatically updates. So they get pretty, um, in, not quite instant, but um, uh, quick feedback. Their, their score goes up several times, and that's no extra work for me um, once I get that. So um, this past year, since I've implemented this, I wanted to determine if this actually works. Is it working? Um, what do students think about it? So what I've done in both semesters, fall 2018 and 2019, um, is that students completed surveys for extra credit. Um, the first survey was administered in, in week, uh, around week five, the second around week 10, and the third around finals. And I believe all the results that, that I'm going to show are from um, the finals week. So they actually know their final grade at that point. Um, though some variables I only measure earlier on in grade one. Um, so the surveys included things like satisfaction in the grading system, as well as academic motivation and attitudes. Um, and then I linked their um, course outcomes or final grades um, to uh, the, the responses so that we could compare this. Um, and I, I'm calling this a pilot study because both of my sections did this, and I'll uh, explain in a second how I'm uh, doing a natural experiment this year um, to, to give me some better comparison. Um, but what I can do is compare course outcomes before I implemented this and after. Um, and I believe they should be, the courses didn't change that much aside from this. The exams um, were uh, almost identical. Uh, most of the assignments were similar as well. Um, so what I found is after implementing this, um, here were my grades before, um, before I implemented this. Um, and uh, there are two things I don't like about this distribution. Um, one, the failure rate was about 19%, um, which I think is too high. And two, um, I gave too many A's, I think, relative to um, the other grades. And you know, when, when people, uh, when colleagues that I know from uh, grad school ask me, like, how are the students at Wesley? And I always say, um, they're good. They're, they're challenging, though, because the distance from the worst student to the best student is really large. And I think that's what I see here. Um, it's a very bimodal distribution um, in the sense that there are a lot of A's and a lot of F's, uh, and some B's, C's, and D's, but, but pretty even amongst them. So what I really wanted to do is get this down. And I 
think that my A grade was a little inflated because prior I would kind of curve grades, um, exam scores, and I think that that bumped what might have been B and C students up to, up to A's. Um, so afterwards, um, after I implemented this, um, a number of A's uh, did go down a little bit, and I think this is, is about right. I, I noticed that the students who I give A's to do seem deserving of an A. They do seem to have met the learning objectives, which I um, can't say for all the students prior to this. Many more C's, so students are moving more toward the middle. And um, this is a significant difference in, in proportions. And what I'm really excited about is that the number of F's prior, um, they seem to turn into D's. Um, so the failure rate actually dropped by nearly half. It's now around 10%. Um, I think is a much more acceptable level for the, the difficulty of this course. Um, so fewer students are failing. Um, and overall, fewer students are getting A's, though again, um, I, I think that the, the number of students who get A's, the students that do get A's, seem to be the ones deserving of those. So I think this, I like, I'm much more comfortable with this distribution. Um, it's a much more normal distribution. Uh, for some reason, I still don't have many B's, um, which is, I can't figure out the, the least common um, grade I assign. Um, in terms of the average grade, uh, it stayed about the same. It's not a significant difference. So pre-implementation, the average grade was between a B minus and a C plus, um, and now it's between a C and a C plus. Um, so um, if anything, it'll go down a little bit. But what um, is important here is that I was able to, through this, reduce the fail rate without inflating grades. That was my um, one of my uh, fears going in, that simply giving them more points, more opportunities to earn points. Um, would result in many, many uh, more um, A's and B's um, simply reducing the challenge of the course. But it would not appear to do that, though again, this difference is not significant. Um, in terms of student satisfaction, 67% um, um, reported that they are satisfied with the grading system overall, uh, which I'm fairly happy with. I think this, this is, uh, could be a little higher. Um, but two thirds of students seem to, to like it. They say overall they feel satisfied with this. 73% um, um, report that they prefer it to traditional um, grading methods. They would rather do this than be graded in a more traditional manner. 70% um, would be more likely to sign up for a class using this method, which I'm excited about. Um, when I was telling my students at the end of the spring semester which classes I'm teaching, uh, they said, is it going to use this grading system? And I said, no, no I am. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, but they seem uh, to really like this thing, and they would be more likely to sign up for a class if they knew the grading system would be used. 73% um, agree that the grading system, uh, the grading method motivated them to do their best compared to other methods. Um, they were feeling more motivated, a large majority. 79% said they felt more in control of their grade. So they felt more autonomy um, in determining what their grade would be. Um, however, 65% um, of students still reported feeling anxious about their grade. Um, now, the, the issue here is I don't know what the baseline is. Um, I don't know if this is higher than normal, lower than normal, um, and I'll talk about how I'm, I'm going to overcome this, this barrier um, in a second, but um, still the majority reported feeling anxious. In terms of, of qualitative data, what students liked, um, these are comments from the surveys, open-ended comments. Um, a student said, I wish more classes did this. Most professors always say, I don't give grades, we earn them. But this has been the only class that I actually felt that I have earned in my current grade. Um, and this is something I do feel students 
even if you know students are getting a C, they're like, I really work for this. Um, so I like that they were they were you know tell me that um, that they actually feel it more in control that they can earn a grade, and they realize the hard work that got into it. Right? To get to a certain number of points, they see clearly how that progression worked. Um, a student said, I believe that more students would be more excited about going to classes if they all use this grading scale because no matter what you do, you can't go backwards, you only level up. <laughs> um, so you're, they're only moving forward. Um, so just framing a course in that way is everything is only pushing you forward. Um, students reported really liking that. A student said, it's easy to see where my grades were going and I felt more in control of them than in other classes. So they felt that autonomy. Students like the leaderboard. They said the leaderboard pushes you to want to be at the top while also keeping you anonymous. Um, so they like that aspect of, of kind of competition, but also you know not having to reveal who they work. Anonymous. Um, they said it's absolutely great. Once you uh, makes you want to work harder to get those points and more motivated to complete their coursework to get points. Um, there are goals that are set and you need the ability to achieve them. And the fact that you're building up points and see the progress you make every time. The students really seem to like this idea of moving forward and seeing their progress step by step. Um, there are some consistent challenges. Um, one student said, being unsure about your grade until the last minute, uh, I'm able to calculate it, but it does make me nervous if I did a calculation wrong. It would be nice to get to 600 a little easier. It's my number one request. Lower the number of points needed to pass the course. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll give in on that one. Um, but students do feel nervous because one downside is they could be going in um, sort of not yet achieving a passing grade, so students feel like it's all on this final exam. Now, students that would be on the borderline in other classes, they'd be in the same situation, but here they kind of feel that more. So the end of the semester can get a little more stressful, I think. Um, the only thing that I dislike is that the moment you do the assignment, it doesn't add your total right away. Um, if I were more tech savvy, I'd be able to fix this, but students want to turn something in and you know, hear a cha-ching sound and have their toes. <laughs> I don't know quite how to do that. Um, the grade that's showing up on my NCWC isn't my grade in the class, um, so that's how I'm trying to fix it by actually showing them what their grade is if the course ended today, um, which I kind of had mixed feelings about. The students are not able, they're not as familiar with thinking about their grade this way, and, and it's a challenge to you know, show their grade in the traditional way. Um, and another thing is easier to procrastinate and put off to the side. So students, uh, I do notice some students procrastinate and say, oh, you know, I can just do a bunch of assignments at the end. Explore them. You do as much as the at the beginning so you're not stressed at the end because you might not get to the great point. Um, so just briefly on um, where I'm going with this. Um, so this semester I'm doing a, a natural experiment. Um, which is really exciting. So my, I have two sections, back-to-back, -back, same room. Um, my 1130 section is the control. So they have a traditional points-based grading system. It's still 1,000 points. There are only 1,000 points there. They get percentage scores on each assignment. Um, though I'm still not putting grades on the assignment, but they can easily calculate it um, with the, the score they get. And then 1240 is, is my treatment group with the, the RPG method. Um, there are going to be three surveys throughout each semester, same as the previous study. Um, and uh, so important control to keep everything as similar as possible between the two. Um, so I'm actually doing the flipped classroom. So all the lectures are recorded. Um, they're audio lectures, I call podcast lectures. Um, and so that's identical between sections. Um, I do checklist grading for the control section, but it's checklist based on meet this uh, box, you get this number of points. 
and it adds up to a total number of points. So I'm kind of keeping that aspect of, of creating similar, and I'm hoping and requesting the same time in the spring in the same location, and what I'm gonna do is just flip it so that the 11 berry section is the treatment and the 12 berries. So in sum, um, I think the preliminary results are encouraging, but a lot more research is needed. Um, if you, the, the papers out there on gamification all echo this, we need a lot more research on this uh, topic to show that it's doing what we think it's doing. Um, and it does have certain challenges. Um, it has been, been really challenging implementing this. It does take more time than a more traditional setup. Some days I, I go into work and I see all the things I have to do. Um, as a result of this, I'm like, why did I do this? <laughs> uh, so it requires time, some technical skills in terms of you know, um, incorporating a leaderboard, um, if you do that, and linking it all to Google Sheets. Um, so, so that can get a little technical. I've learned a lot about spreadsheet formulas. Uh, organization planning and, and patience, above all. Um, so um, it, it has been challenging, but um, I think overall, um, implementing gamification um, into course design, whether you go all in or whether you do it a little bit, um, can reduce course failure rates without great inflation, um, challenge students without discouraging them, so there's sort of that safety net where they can resubmit other assignments, <coughs> increase engagement in the course material, uh, motivate students to excel, and reinforce good habits. Um, so uh, with that, I'm happy to take your questions. So I put all their grades in a Google Sheet. Um, and then, uh, so that's like, if you go in the Google Sheet, there's one tab with all their grades and their names and everything. And I create a, another tab with a public sheet. And that's actually what students see online. So what I do is, um, I, you can get an embed code. You can embed that on Gensibar. So every time you enter a grade, it enters it in your master spreadsheet, enters it in the public spreadsheet that is all anonymous, and then it automatically shows up on Gensibar. Um, so, I, like I said, I do enter grades into Gensibar uh, once a week, because students really want that, but otherwise it's a lot more seamless because I don't have to do anything to the Gensibar grade one. So everything is online? Yes. You don't use an Excel spreadsheet or anything? No, no, I, I, I do both of that so that it's automatically refreshed. Excellent talk. Um, I study motivation within the biology field, um, so I'm curious, with uh, the gamification, one of the biggest critiques of gamification is this idea of competition within the students. You have the individuals at the lowest end of the leaderboard who can sometimes feel like, oh, I'm never gonna win, I don't wanna do this anymore. Yeah. So I love that you turned it anonymous. I'm curious, did you get any feedback from the students in that vein of the lower performing students complaining, saying I didn't like being at the bottom of the leaderboard? Yeah, I have not get, gotten any written feedback about that. And what's really challenging with that population is the students at the lower end of the leaderboard almost never show up, yeah. right? So I don't see them, and I don't hear from them. I would be, and they don't complete the surveys um, uh, as, as often, or if they do, they don't provide comments. So I think what, what I, I get more often is the, the good students who say that they like it, and I don't hear from the students that might say that it's discouraging. Um, but I do think a lot about that, um, and, and, you know, I, I don't, have a great solution um, for how to how to prevent that. Um, students can opt out of the leaderboard if they want. They do have. Okay, so, okay that's good. Yeah, um, I haven't had anyone take the take the up on that though. Thank you. Yeah. I was just wondering if there's been any um, sort of like empirical research on grade inflation. 
There has not, no. I have not, or to my knowledge, there is not. I have not seen something with three. Yeah, yeah. No, I, before I did this, you know, I, I, I tried to read as much as I could in the empirical literature, and, and I didn't see anything about that. And that was one of my major fears. Uh, part of me going in on day one said, oh, everyone's just going to get A. Um, you know, and, and I, that didn't happen. In fact, the, the total number went down, but that, that was a real concern. Uh, have you thought about reducing the number of Bs and increasing the number of Cs? I have. C is an unsatisfactory grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what, um, so it does appear that, uh, I mean, I would guess that the students who typically would have gotten an F move up to a D, but you're right, that's still not even really close to meeting course objectives. So that's still an ongoing challenge. And when I look at the D students, so I kind of took a deep dive um, after I completed grades when I said, who was getting a D? Um, and they're typically students that show up for class compared to the F students, but they don't do any better than the F students on exam. Um, they just happen to, to, to be there and, learn a little more that way. Um, or come back, actually, I guess they don't learn more because the exams are, not, are about the same, but they do a few more assignments. So I don't think qualitatively there's a ton that separates the D student from the F student besides just willing to show up and, and do a couple more assignments. But that's, of course, a challenge. How do we bring those students out of the stage to actually learn, mm -hmm. learn something? Yeah, if you're trying to the students, you might be getting the stronger students, but you're still not reaching the ones. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I believe it. Go ahead. That's right. What is your sense, um, or do you believe that students are better informed, better educated about politics at the end of a course with this method versus the traditional grading method, or do you get a sense that is? Yeah. Um, so that's something I, the past two semesters at the end of the semester, I, I you know, thought about that same question, and I couldn't really say. I felt like it seemed about the same. But I will say just this semester, having the two sections back to back and interacting with the first class session versus the second, it's honestly night and day. And I can't wait to get the data back and, and hope it reflects this sort of anecdotal impression um, that students in the first section don't want to be there. They're basically given, you know, there's a quiz every day, and they come and they do the quiz, and it's just all very transactional. Um, and in the second section, they're just much more enthusiastic. Now, that could just be people that sign up for 1240, you know, they're coming after lunch, and, and they're more optimistic. But it does, I do feel a different energy, and I do feel like they're there um, to learn, um, rather than just there so they don't get a bad grade. It might be the difference in your energy. And that's something I try to watch. <laughs> so I, I told myself, like, I, I, you know, I started thinking of my first class is the bad class, and this is the good class, and the students are just so much nicer. And I'm trying to really avoid that so that I don't bias the data. But I think some, you know, slight bias is, is you know, unavoidable, um, just at an implicit level. Great. Would you mind going back to the very final Is your strongest uh, evidence for 
learning learning outcomes. A lot of it is, is so so it is is the psychological enjoyment of the course and and your lack of anxiety and your feeling of autonomy. But I wondered which which of these uh, what evidence you have that's strong that most strongly related to student learning outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I really think the only evidence I have directly related to that is the grades pre and post implementation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the challenge, which, you know, I have these student satisfaction numbers and, you know, how they feel about it, but I don't, you know, I'm lacking a, a proper comparison, I feel, except with grades, because I didn't measure any of these attitudes um, prior. I have looked at exam questions, mm -hmm. um, pre and post that were the same. I've only kind of started doing this because it's a, it's a big backlog of actually digging through my file cabinet and trying to see on the same question, did I get um, you know, more correct responses and doing that for perhaps like 10 or so items. So that's something I'm kind of working working on to see. But I think this semester will provide a much uh, stronger um, test because I can actually, I'll give them the same exam. We'll take it at the same time. And I can directly compare uh, scores um, on those. Yeah, I think that the reviewers will be quite interested in what you just mentioned. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of um, waiting on, on that actually. Yeah. Yeah, kind of in that same vein. Um, I don't know if maybe I don't know if this would exist in your field, but a concept inventory. Uh -huh. You could find a published concept inventory somewhere and get it to both of your sections. That might be a good way to try to look at just performance in general between the two sections, and that takes you out of the picture so it's not biased at all. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that's a, I, I have not heard of that. Standardized, I already have to be standardized across the mm -hmm. you know, I kind of take myself 